Welcome to this episode of Through the Educational Looking Glass. I am one of your hosts, Courtney Edelman. And I'm your other host, Don Sturm. We're both in coaching roles in Morton Unit School District 709 in Central Illinois. Thanks for joining us as we try to gain clarity on the variety of topics concerning teachers today. Let's take a closer look at today's topic. All right, today's topic is looking at responsibility in the classroom with Dina Imser. Yeah, and I listened to the most recent episode of your Care You podcast that you create with Stephanie Brown, and Dina was your guest, and she shared some incredible insights regarding responsibility for caregivers. Uh, as we were talking, I know you walked away from that experience thinking about the possibilities for a similar discussion here. And I jumped on board immediately because I'm excited to talk with Dina today and hear about her ideas as to how teachers can best approach responsibility in their classrooms. So uh, let's start by introducing Dina. All right, a little bit about Dina Imser. Uh, She is an author, keynote speaker, leadership trainer, and coach. A former principal of an elementary middle school, uh, Dina was certified as a lead trainer with the Positive Discipline Program in 1999 and as a professional certified coach in 2000. She's worked on four continents with organizations to support people with effective leadership tools to build respectful relationships. Her latest creation is a training program for workplace teams called Empowering People in the Workplace, the Positive Discipline Way with Positive Discipline founder Jane Nelson in 2017. Currently, over 2,000 people have been trained in this program worldwide. It's translated into four languages. Dina is a co-author of Roadmap to Success with Stephen Covey and Ken Blanchard and a solo book, Trusting the Fortune Within. And like I said, when you were here the last time, it's always nice to have that person that makes you feel like you have not done enough with your life. Uh, But um, thank you for, I have to say this, being back in the studio, even though it's really just my office. So um, yeah, we're excited to talk to you about, talk with you about this idea of responsibility and to do it more from uh, the classroom teacher setting or the school building versus the uh, at-home kind of responsibility. So welcome. Yeah, welcome, Dina. Thank you both. I'm delighted to be back. And the first thing I think Don said to me after your last visit uh, was, you got to hear the way she defines responsibility. So, I don't know, maybe we could start there. Can you define yeah. responsibility for us in case people didn't listen to the other podcast, in which case you should? I hope you will. Yeah, just to get the, the sort of caregiver versus teacher yeah. um, and see where the connections are. So the way I started last time, which had Don scratching his head, was he said, how would you define responsibility? And I said, for me, it's the ability to respond. Because what we really want is for our young people to go out into the world with the ability to respond to all kinds of different situations, challenges that show up, as well as, you know, how do you celebrate success, like in an appropriate way, so. Yeah, and it's funny, I am much better able to respond to that now, because I've had time, but I really was like blown away when you said that, because I don't know that I'd ever heard anybody define responsibility that way. So um, again, we'll just kind of jump right in. So how do teachers, how do classroom teachers teach responsibility? So, so one of the things that I would do right away, Don, is tweak the teach into give. So I think one of the things when you think about in, in, in your own lives, when you think about kids, maybe you grew up with, who just seem to have kind of that responsibility thing nailed down. Like what was true about them? Like, what was true about their experience? If I was going to generalize, I'd probably say they either grew up in a family 
They were in a scouting program. They were in 4-H. They had animals at home. There was something about the way they grew up that gave them meaningful work from a really early age. And by meaningful, I mean, you know, if you don't do that chore, something could die. Mm -hmm. So meaningful work is one of those things that kids naturally gravitate towards, especially when they're young. They can't wait to be able to help. They're like bugging you all the time. Let me do, let me do. And what do we say? Oh, honey, that's so sweet. You want to help. Why don't you go sit down and play with your toys when you're a little bit older, right? We'll let you help. Well, I think about like my wife and I, and it was oh, the washing the dishes. Mm-hmm. It was just much easier for us to wash the dishes because you'd have to get the stool and then you'd have to put down like 47 towels because you knew the stuff was going to be all over the place. And so what you're telling me is by me saying, oh, that's sweet of you, kids, but go ahead and run along now and let me handle the dishes. That probably was not the best thing. I'm just saying, Don, that it's really natural that as adults, what we want is expediency. Mm -hmm. We don't want to take time to train. And as teachers... I think many of us fall into that same category. And I'm just going to be transparent here. I was one of the worst. I wanted to do everything because I wanted it done the way I wanted it done. And I didn't want to take any chances. So one of the big things that happened to me in my life is that I had someone who said to me, you know what? If you feel like you're working too hard, you probably are. Ask the kids for help. And you have to give up some of that control in order to do that. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. So what, what happened for me is that I was faced with the question, would I rather have control and perfection in my mind? Because there is no such thing, sure. right? Or would I rather know in my heart of hearts that I was doing the best I could to benefit the kids in my care because I gave them opportunities to grow their skills in my classroom? So what can you give me some examples of what a teacher can do? And I know we're talking because we're in Morton and we are a unit district. We're pre-K through 12. So I realize you're not, and we wouldn't expect you to hit every grade level, but what what is okay to turn over to students? So one of the things that um, I wanted to focus on today as we're talking is meaningful work. Because I think what happens sometimes as teachers is that we turn things over to kids and they perceive it has no meaning. It's just busy work. So something I would suggest that could kind of run the gamut in terms of ages would be if you sit down with the kids in your classroom, regardless of their age, and it's like you ask the question, so what kinds of things could you possibly do that would help us function as a group? Like how could you contribute? And what would you be willing to do? And just start a list. And so I brought some stuff with me to leave oh. with you guys. And so one of them is, it's like 40 classroom jobs that are possibilities. And they go kind of beyond the norm of what we think of clean the chalkboard or the whiteboard or water the plants, that kind of thing. So, but again, it's like, if you want to know what's meaningful work that the kids can contribute, who better to ask than whoever's in your classroom, right? You don't even have to come up with the list. Yeah, I'm thinking about teachers in my role. I get to visit different grade levels. And the ones who have, I think most elementary classes have the helper role and they have different jobs every week. But it, it was interesting to watch it work because the teacher would be at the back of the room dealing with small groups 
and there was like a tech help person. And that's the one that stuck out to me because that's my role. And it was tech help. <laughs> and it's funny because somebody would, whatever, their iPad wasn't taking a picture right. They would walk over to this little boy or little girl that was that had the necklace on that said tech help, helper. And they would do it. And I guess that meant, you know, I don't, it doesn't mean the teacher doesn't have any responsibility with that, but it really, the rest of the class was letting the teacher work with the set of students that they needed to work with at the time. So how does that look in a, um, in a junior high or high school setting? Is it different? I think it would be different actually, because they've got a higher level of skills to start with. So obviously the conversation is going to be different, right? And it may start with sort of that, oh, here's what we did in elementary school kind of thing. But you might need to tease it out a little bit more. Okay, so you're older now. You've got more skills. How can you contribute? And we talked a little bit, the three of us, about the whole, you know, grading conundrum with teachers. It's like, that is a heavy load. Is there a way that you could set up a system that would allow kids to either, as you suggested, Courtney, do some evaluation and reflection on their own before they hand in their work? Or is there a way that there could be some peer review or some peer help for you relative to grading stuff? I'm not here with questions or not here with necessarily answers for everybody today. But what I would really like to do is to open your head to think a little bit about how can you allow students in your classroom to contribute to you and the good of the classroom. Well, and you know, one of the points from your last podcast on Care You um, that I took was that idea of creating some ownership within the classroom. And so, you know, initially I'm thinking from my ELA background, you've got kids who just I don't connect with the stories that we're reading. It's not my area where I feel like I am a reader, I am a writer, but you're giving those students ownership because they're important to the way the class operates, regardless of what we're reading, regardless of what we're studying. And the important point that you just bring up, Courtney, is that it levels the playing field. So you're going to have kids always who are natural fits for the subject matter you're teaching, junior high, high school. You're going to have kids that are never going to be a natural fit for what you're teaching. So how could you bring them around or bring them in, raise their level of belonging and significance in your classroom by allowing them another place to shine with their skill set. Yeah. Well, and it made me think about something. I mean, this has been years ago when I taught um, a beginning level geography class, predominantly freshmen, and I had four or five classes of it. So, you know, that you're teaching the same thing four or five times a day. They put together, each class was responsible for a book about Morton that would be used, that a realtor would use to talk about the community. And I went to the Chamber of Commerce and asked them, they were going to be the ones that were going to comment on it. That was probably out of all the projects I did, it was probably the one that I saw the students get into. And now I'm just sitting here wondering whether it was, I didn't know that's what I was doing, but was I giving them ownership over something? It was something beyond just the classroom. And I don't know. Like I said, I hadn't thought of that in 25 years. So Don, my guess is totally, you know, they were engaged. If kids are engaged, they feel ownership. If they're disengaged, there's some part of the ownership, they're just not feeling it. And we've talked a lot about engagement 
yeah. over the past couple of years. And that's a, I love that slant of looking at it from that way. It's not just curiosity. It's not just, you know, being active. It's that ownership piece that I think we haven't ever touched on yet. So, yeah. And it is like we were, Courtney and I were talking about this when we were coming up with some questions and really thinking about that idea of if you teach, I, I think we've come to the conclusion that until you get to high school in our district, there are no electives. There, And by electives, I mean some element of choice that you have as a student. I guess, though, as soon as I say that, a student can choose to be in band mm-hmm. or choir or not. But minus those, at the junior high, they they sample things for a quarter. But at the high school, that's first the first real time that they get to choose courses, but it's, what, two a year or yeah. two a semester? And that it's difficult when you have, and you made the comment that not every student is going to, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but they're not going to be... A fit. A fit mm-hmm. for whatever topic it is that or whatever subject matter. So that makes it, I think, difficult because you're the math teacher and let's say there's a student who doesn't like math or you're the history teacher and the student doesn't like history. Like how do you, it's just challenging to create that, that ownership. I think so too, Don. And I, and I just wonder again, I, I guess in my mind's eye, if it were me, I would see myself in a circle with those kids or in front of my desk or whatever, just saying, you know what, there are going to be some kids in this class that really struggle with math. So first of all, it's like, why do you have to be here? Like, what's important about this class that you need to learn in order to move on? And what is it that would help you take more ownership for your work and for the time that you're going to spend in this classroom? What would help? So we're, we're turning a lot of it back to kids because, again, if you're teaching the ability to respond, how better than to ask them to look inside and reflect on, well, what would help? And when's the last time somebody asked me a wonky question like that? Rather than just assume I'm going to buckle down and do the work. And I believe that teachers are interested and intuitive about their students. So my guess would be that a lot of us would have a guess about some kids in our classroom. We know them well enough to kind of imagine a little bit about what the barrier is addressing it head on with that child even privately and saying, you know what, I really want to help you with this, but I can't do it without your your participation. So what could we do that would help you own this? Well, and that really gets down to that, the building of relationships. And I know it's a, some people listening might roll their eyes and think, oh gosh, how, we're, we just keep hearing that. It's like relationships, <laughs> relationships. But I, I think that's, it's easier said than done, but it's the more relate. It just works that way in society. The more of a relationship you have with someone, the more able you're un- able to understand where they're coming from, what they need. They understand from you what you need, and I, I don't know. It just so I think it does boil down to the relationship building. The the other piece that pops for me, Don, when you say that is. And this is a stumbling block for me sometimes, but I'm getting better. It's like, it's my job to reach out as the teacher and make that connection and ask the question. It's not my job to answer the question or demand that the child answer the question. 
So that's the child's responsibility. So we need to be aware that we're responsible for our part, but we're not responsible for the other part. And I would imagine the older a student gets, the more that is applicable. Maybe. Say a little more about that. Well, I'm thinking like a... Well, and I, I guess I'm thinking if... Um, is, we hope that maybe a junior in high school has built some of that response, is more able to respond when the opportunity presents itself, and maybe we're still cultivating that skill in someone younger. Is yeah. that kind of where you're going with that? Yeah. Yeah, it was funny. I'm like, I'm trying to think of a specific example, but I'm just thinking of like a little first grader versus an 11th grader. There are obviously skill sets that one has that the other one doesn't or is starting to build. Yeah. And I learned early on, you know, that story I told last time about five-year-olds teaching me how to do class meetings. I have early on learned that I cannot assume what a child can or cannot do because of their age. Hmm. So, so yes, I agree that older kids get the more strengths and skills they have. And sometimes even young students, if you sit down and ask them a question, you may be blown away by what they're able to reflect and put into words. Not always. Yeah, and I mean, I see that from working with younger kids. I mean, I until I stepped into this role, in when my kids were little, that was the last time I had interacted with students on a regular basis that were that young. It, it's just crazy how much they can do, even if you look at it from a technology side. For I mean, sure. <laughs> I, they they know how to take the picture. They know you say a hard reset. Oh yeah, I knew hard reset. You got to wait for the <laughs> apple to come on. And there are some adults that don't yeah, know yeah. that don't know that. So, you want to talk accountability for a minute? Yeah, sure. So can we can we throw that in at you? <laughs> I wish people could see your face, Courtney. Well, yeah. I wasn't sure whether to ask it or not, but I do think the reality is over this past couple of years. Teachers have, in some cases, gotten directives about how we should, can hold students accountable. Um, and now that we are sort of swaying back to a more normal situation, I think we're still grappling with that. What is the carryover? Where is best practice? Um, you know, if a student, if we we make, we, we do our half, right? We, we do our, our um, role in the relationship and the student doesn't respond what do we do? So um, I have three questions that I use for accountability. Okay. And the first one is, what will you do? The second one is, by when will you do it? And the third one is, how will I know when it's done? So, <clears throat> and so these are workplace questions, but I think in high school, especially if you have a, a student who's not responsive and is not getting their work done, yeah, I wonder if Part of the problem sometimes is overwhelm. So much to do, so many steps, I honestly don't even know where to start. So that's the first question. What will you do? Let's get clear about the steps first. Then let's set up a timeline. By when? And then they have to say. And then, and you have input there. That's too long. I need it before then. Yeah. Let's compromise. So it's not completely a one-way conversation. And the third thing then is, well, how will I know when it's done? So the easy thing for high school students, I'll have it on your desk. Okay, by when? What time will it be there? And the specifics, I think, are really helpful because they allow, I mean, when you, when you know the deadline, 
and you've committed to it yourself. There's that ownership piece, right? Right. You taking your responsibility and someone's going to be waiting for it. Yeah. So you're scaffolding that for them, even as you're having that and, and you're partnering. It feels like you're a partner in that process then. Exactly. And you're not only building responsibility, but you're building that relationship and that investment that that child has with you as a person, which is going to be really important later on once they're in the workforce. I like that. I'm glad I asked it. Yeah. And I think (laughs) it allows me to then ask if we did the right thing. Okay. So Courtney and I taught an Americans. I don't know that we told you that. You did not. We co-taught together for, for Courtney, it probably seemed like (laughs) 25 years. years. Um, (laughs) And it was an honors level class, two hours long. So we really built relationships with the students and they wrote papers. We did source checks and we would just pick kind of at random, okay, these are the three students that are going to do for this paper. So by Friday, we need your sources. And they knew it's due by Friday. Girl comes up and said, bells already rung, rang. Yes. It's buzzed. And <laughs> I, she said, uh, my sources are in my locker. And we responded, sorry, they were due today. You didn't bring them in. And so she got a zero on the source check. That has haunted me. <laughs> I mean, genuinely it really haunted has. me for years. Wow. My family was like, I cannot believe you did that. Wow. But I in at the time, I think I genuinely believed mm-hmm. that that is what that, well, not just her. That no, was that's the, what teaches accountability. That's what teaches accountability, <laughs> and that's what teaches responsibility. Now, what's funny is stepping back, either one of us would have told you that this girl is responsible. Oh, yeah. She, I mean, it, it's like we already had the proof that she was these things, yes. so it was... That's what maybe felt even additionally artificial about that. Yeah. So I saw your face and it was almost like, <laughs> ooh, like because of that. And so did we do the right thing? So Don, you know, I think he you're just not has, paying me. You're not paying me enough to answer right. that question. <laughs> I think he just has you here to validate his yeah. life choices. I noticed he did that last time too, Dina. So my guess is that there, along the way, somewhere, somebody said that to you. It's like, this is a hard deadline, and you will receive a zero if you don't have it in on time. Oh, I don't yeah. know who sitting at this table and probably listening has not had that same experience. So the question is, did that teach her or did that build responsibility? Could you, could you see it on her face or what was... Oh, she just, if I recall, she started crying. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would love to talk to her. Mm-hmm. And just say, hey, I don't even know if you're, because she may, that, that's the funny thing. She may not even remember it. Or this could be one of those things that she's carrying through her whole life. And we had this, te- I had this teacher, teachers. It's, um, it, it's hard to navigate that because you want to do what is right for students. And mm-hmm. you want them to leave your classroom and your building and their public school education with some skill sets. Right. And so it it is that balance of, I don't want to tip them over the edge. I don't want them to hate school. I don't want them to, but when they go into a job, 
there are going to be some hard deadlines. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we've all had that. So I don't know, but it, it has stuck with me. Yeah, I get it. And I'm, I guess one, I wonder too, it's like hard deadlines are hard deadlines. And that doesn't mean that every deadline in high school needs to be a hard deadline. So that's a decision the teacher gets to make. Um, you know, and, and one thing I will give you credit for, Don, is it sounds like this is a girl who already had a reputation as being responsible. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things you didn't do was to bend the rule for her because of her reputation, which well, would have been easy to do. Oh, and I think that I think that's what we were mm-hmm. very good at for things like that. Now, I'm not saying we were always, but it, one thing that when teachers say and I think it's said maybe more than it should be, but, oh, well, that's a good kid. Yeah. I, I think that's a very, uh, that's a difficult, that's a, what's the right word that I'm looking for? That's a, a slippery slope. Oh, yeah. When yeah. you say, oh, that's a good kid, because then we'll let the good kid get away with things that we don't let whatever the opposite that is, mm-hmm. a bad kid. A, yeah. Challenging. A challenging kid. kid. Yeah. 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 I will mention, though, this is slightly related, and we'll also get you off the hot seat a little bit. Okay, good. When I did the leader, the Learn to Lead program at Morton High School Mm -hmm. with sophomore, junior, and senior girls for, I think, a minimum of six years I did that, one of the things I noticed that those girls complained about the most was being in a project with kids in the classroom and feeling like they had to do the lion's share of the work. So I know that there are people who feel like, I have to carry the responsibility for the project, and it could be because of their personality, it could be the way they're perceived, but I think that's a place, Courtney, where ownership, making sure that each person in the project team had ownership of part of it and understood what's meaningful about this, how is this going to contribute, like no kidding, owning that piece would have been really helpful for those girls if they'd had a little bit more training around that. So that might be a place to watch, especially for junior high and high school teachers who do project-based work, to work with kids a little bit around responsibility sharing and ownership. I love that idea. Yeah. I think we never covered that as the foundation of those kinds of partnerships. And what I know now is that people interviewed in work, like 70% right now in 29 countries say they work on at least at one team. Yeah. at work. And 90% of those 70% say that they work on more than one team. So that would be really good training for the workplace. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. And I think, I mean, we'll get, we'll let you have, well, it's not really the last word because we have to close it, but is there anything you want to say before we turn to the reflection questions that we always leave with? So I just want to make three points about what I consider to be meaningful work. Oh, By all means. So the first thing is it has to make sense. So we know what's expected and we have the resources to accomplish the task. The second piece is it has a point. We have to understand the why of it. And the third point is it contributes to the greater good. So it's not just about me, but it also contributes to the greater good of the classroom or potentially to the school or the community. The point that you made, Don, about the project you did with the realtors, it's like, It was meaningful work. It contributed to the good of the community. So keep those things in mind, too, so that it's not just what students perceive to be busy work, but really what they can kind of get their teeth into. It's meaningful work. Okay. I like that. Thank you so So, much, Dina. Thank you. And some reflection questions for you uh, who are listening. First one is, 
How can you be more intentional about offering opportunities for responsibility in your classroom? And the second one, how can you work to cultivate a shared vision that values building responsibility within your school? One of our main goals of this podcast is to create meaningful connections. If you'd like to share your responses to the questions, we'd love to listen. This can be done through the Google form that we have linked through the public site on Anchor or through Anchor's voice response option. Additionally, consider sharing your thoughts with a colleague or an instructional coach to open up meaningful dialogue. We have enjoyed taking this journey with you through the educational looking glass.